Hey folks, welcome to another edition of the DC3. My name is Vince. I'm Zach. And I'm Brian. And I thought this week we would start off by uh, talking about uh, DC's recent solicitations uh, that just came out last week. And um, uh, specifically, a couple of new miniseries, uh, but they're not your typical miniseries fare. Um, for starters, let's talk about Frank Miller's new new project, New Dark Knight project, um, subtitled The Master Race. <laughs> uh, what's, what's your guys' relationship with Frank Miller's work um, with the Batman character? Well, I'm a little bit older than you guys. Not quite old enough to be buying Frank Miller Batman books when they were new, but I certainly have memories of being in the comic shop and seeing uh, Batman Year Two, actually, is one of the, like, that's a very, in, those covers are very indelible in my mind, of, like, being in a comic shop in the late 80s and seeing those. Um, but I had, uh, I'm the oldest in my immediate family, but I had a cousin who's seven years older than I am, and he was sort of my gateway into some cool stuff, and he gave me The Dark Knight Returns years ago. And so I, I think, like most people, who encountered that book sort of in the wild, you know, it was, it was impressive at first. It was something different than I had seen ever before. And I, I still think there's a lot of really good stuff in the dark Knight returns. Now I was in college when the sequel came out and I was at like full fanboy fever pitch waiting for it. And then I don't think I ever even finished reading it. It was so bad. Um, what about you guys? What was your experience with the dark Knight books? Well, I, I like Dark Knight Returns is very important to me because it marks that was the first um, I guess that was really my first foray into comics um, because I, I remember it was right after the Dark Knight came out. And I, I don't know if you guys remember, but the Watchmen trailer played before that. Yes, it um, did. for the first time. And so immediately after that, I went to like a Barnes and Noble to look for Watchmen. Cause I was like, I'm going to read this. Um, I want to get into comics. I'm going to read this. And they didn't have it. It was already, it was already gone because everybody else had the same idea. <laughs> um, and so I like wanted to get something. I didn't want to go away empty handed. And I had heard about dark Knight returns. Like, and so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll read this. And so that was like my gateway. Um, I haven't read it in years. Um, so I have no idea like how I would react to it now because my sensibilities have changed a lot. Um, but in that way, it is like really important to me. Um, I've never read Strikes Again. I've never read All Star Batman and Robin. Um, so you know, my my viewpoint is a little colored by nostalgia and ignorance. <laughs> Well, um, I'm a little bit of an oddball because the the first exposure to Frank Miller Batman that I had was All Star Batman and Robin, and so I, I remember reading the goddamn Batman and <laughs> and and thinking like like who is this guy that I've heard so much about that really like I find to just be like a charlatan, you know, like everyone <laughs> says Frank Miller's the best, you know, but like, this is, this is utter nonsense. And, uh, <laughs> and so, so like right off the bat, I was, I was on the wrong foot with him. 
Um, and you know, he's quite a, a divisive figure, um, you know, in his everyday life outside of his work. And, uh, I, I don't think he and I would have much in common, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I, have, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I have since, I have since gone back and I've read his, his two dark Knight um, books to date. And, uh, and I will say that there are a lot of scenes and images from both of the books, actually, um, I mean, I, I I recognize their influence um, certainly, but uh, but overall, I don't think either. I wouldn't list either of the books among my favorite, um, but but there are a lot of scenes and images from both of the books that that have stuck with me. And actually, from from uh, the Dark Knight Returns, there's a couple that actually give me chills when I see them. You know, and it's it's because of his artistry um, and because of the way he he just piles stuff onto a page you know mm-hmm. um, but like the return of the Joker that actually gives me chills when I read that scene <laughs> um, some of the some of the iconic imagery that that you know Zack Snyder himself is taking for Batman versus Superman comes from uh, Dark Knight Returns and and it's it's that iconic imagery that I think deserves to endure, you know, beyond the work itself. Maybe um, I'm a little bummed at the way that his particular take on Batman has kind of become, in some ways, the the definitive version of Batman that we tend to see, you know, does it, it's certainly the default Batman right now. Yeah. It's the default Batman. Now, Grant Morrison, um, wrote my favorite style of Batman because he kind of blends, he kind of blends the bat God, super serious, like undefeatable Batman with a goofy world that he has to contend with, which is, which is what I appreciate. Um, about Batman most, you know, this kind of serious quote unquote realistic hero that's dropped into a world full of things that are utter nonsense, you know, yeah, like that's the Batman that I like. And, and Frank Miller's airs more on the side of this grim, gritty, realistic Batman that we've come to know that everybody pulls from. And, and I think that's a little regrettable, but there are certainly images and scenes uh, that deserve all of the praise that they get and the hype that they get. And, and they do affect me to this day. So, um, so I don't really have the historical reverence for his work, I guess, with Batman, but, uh, but there are a lot of aspects to it that I do appreciate. Before we dive into the dark Knight three, here's a question for you guys. And I've, I've had this debate before with, with other folks on multiversity. So, I think it would be ignorant to not acknowledge the fact that one of the reasons that Batman is so popular today is the Dark Knight Returns, and one of the reasons that we're still talking about specifically Batman as as this dark and gritty hero is that. And I think a lot of writers and artists and people like us who talk about comics a lot, I think for all of us that book is incredibly important. Whether we like it or not, it's an important book in the time. But is it a net positive in the world of comics? 
was the legitimacy it brought to Batman eventually outweighed by the sort of not fun, you know, dull, uh, easy to pigeonhole Batman that we've gotten in the 20 years since the book came out? Well, I feel like I'm I'm too young to be able to speak on that because I don't I wasn't around for the state of comics or the state of Batman before Frank Miller. So yeah, but, but don't you think that it well, took I a mean, while to get that to be the pervasive style, though? Well, I I think like my my earliest like inclination of Batman was from the animated series, and so to me that's like that's like base Batman. Um, which I f- think as is fairly tonal. I mean, it's dark, but it's quite different than the Miller Batman. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I, I don't know. I, it's really hard for me to. I see see the Dark Knight Returns Batman as as the definitive Batman, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't really see it that way. I just see it as another take, one that's you, very don't popular. You think that that for most people, though, that's more or less how they see Batman, especially people who don't read comics every day. See, I, I don't know. I I would say that most people see Batman at least now as um, the Nolan Batman. Um, that's that's what most people probably think. Vince, what about you? Yeah, you know, I think actually, I think Zach is right, and um, but I think that's because of Nolan. That's an incredibly recent phenomenon. Yeah, because, because actually, now that I think about it, I remember being on the internet in you know the late two thousands, and and Frank Miller's. Uh, Batman was still like the standard and everybody talked about it. And the only thing, you know, at the top of the list that people recommended, it was year one and it was Dark Knight Returns um, in equal measure. And I think, yeah, actually, uh, I think actually in the last couple of years that probably has changed. Well, Um, we've had a bit of like a a renaissance with all of these very iconic takes. You know, there's been the Nolan take, there's been Morrison, there's been Snyder, um, and there's been a lot more um, options for people to kind of latch on to. I don't think there was maybe anything as iconic as that between um, Miller and, and those guys. Well, here's the thing. If we're talking comics, then then I, I tend to agree with you. You know, this came out in 86. Okay? I actually just pulled my mm-hmm. edition off the wall. I have a, a fifth printing of it. And I would say this fifth printing was still done in, like, 88 or 89. I mean, this book was incredibly popular. Mm-hmm. Incredibly popular. But this look, this book influenced the 89 Batman film considerably. It somewhat influenced the animated series... It somewhat influenced the Nolan book, the Nolan films, and I think because of it, it influenced it because of what it's not. It influenced the Morrison stuff, kind of as a reaction against that. So to me, it's the most influential Bat book, maybe of all time, for better and for worse. I can I can agree with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. 
So what does that mean for Dark Knight 3 for us, then? <sighs> Who even knows? Like, Well, to be honest, to me it means very little, because I don't think that's the same Frank Miller that wrote those books in the 80s. Like, at all. So I don't think it means anything. <laughs> that's interesting. Well, it's it's... There's also just so many variables now. You know, you've got Brian Azzarello in there as well. Um, I don't believe Miller is doing the art, is he? He's doing a one in ten million variant or something. Okay, but he's not. He's not actually doing the the story art. That's um, Andy Kubert. Andy Kubert. Yeah. So. This isn't a solely like uh, it was. The other two weren't solely Miller. But he was, you know... He was the driving creative force. Exactly. And now I think you can make the argument that he's not. And so I'm kind of interested to see um, what that means for the book. Do we have any hope of it being good? I, I know that sounds uh, de- <laughs> defeatist and whatever, but do we have any hope of this creative team making something that will live up to even the second... Oh, I think I I could definitely see it. I could definitely see it being better. I've not read Strikes Again, but I've had it. I've gotten the synopsis. um, And I I have fairly high hope that it can top that. It won't come anywhere near the first one. I don't think there's any way that it possibly can. Yeah, I agree. Um yeah, I just the thing that I worry about is because so there's almost no doubt that this is Frank Miller's last last dance with Batman, right? I, I would think that's I don't a know. Bet. I mean, there's still that. What was it? The he was going to um, finally finish Robin, Batman and Robin. Robin the Boy Wonder. Yeah, um, I I could still see that happening. Really. Yeah, I, I think so. Mark my words, he's going to die and someone's going to work off his outline for that. Yeah. Jim Lee yeah, will write yeah. and draw it. Yeah. You're, you're right. You're right. Um, um, yeah, I just I just feel like we're going to see, like, whether Azzarello's co-writing it or not, I just feel like at this point, to get this book out no one is going to tell Frank Miller no on anything. And I think that could potentially be a huge problem. Are they uh, not going to tell him no, or they're just going to ignore whatever he wants and do it anyway because he's this feeble man who, by all reports, appears to be dying? When you put it like that, I prefer that we they didn't even do this in the first place. Well, I think that's the optimal option here. So yeah. never have done I, this. You know what I'm most surprised by? The fact that Snyder is not attached to this somehow. Oh, I think you'll see him doing some of the mini-comics. Oh, really? I think okay. you'll see that. They haven't announced the creative team for the mini-comics. And for those we'll listeners see. who don't know, they have each comic is a 32-page regular-sized book and then a 16-page no-advertisements mini-comic coming with it. See, I have they said what the contents of those mini-comics are going to be? Because Nothing. I, okay. Um, but then that, that also, do we want to talk about the other format that they have besides the, that standard format with the mini-comic? Well, isn't the other format just the mini-comic is regular-sized? It is, but it's also... 
the solicitation says that it's paper on boards, which I don't know what that means. Do you know what that means? No. It's it's a it's the trim size is larger than the normal comic to start with by about an inch. Then it has the mini comic at regular size. It says something about it being a paper on boards comic and each issue costs twelve ninety nine. <laughs> yeah. Each um, forty page issue. Well it'll be uh, it'll be more like forty eight pages, but <laughs> maybe, yeah. And no, you're and right, at the though. end of it, the eighth issue of this collector's edition, I th- which is what I think they're billing it as, will come with a case to hold all of them. Oh, thank uh, God. So it's the most over-the-top, um, it, it's easily the most lavish um, format I think DC has ever done for anything. For any any, any monthly, re- any single issue release. Um, which obviously like speaks to how much hope they're putting on it, um, especially in light of like some of their you know recent financial woes that have been in the news, which I know we're get, we'll get to here eventually. Um, but I think they're very much counting on this book to sell just gangbusters. I mean, is there any doubt that it won't? I'm I will be surprised if it doesn't top five hundred thousand. Of the first issue. To me, this is like the perfect book to include in a humble bundle. Not the humble bundle. In a, what's the other? Um, Loot crate. Loot crate, crate. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Something like that. This is the kind of book you're going to see in Hot Topic, and you're yes. going to see it in um, you know every bookstore in the world. This is going to be everywhere. Oh yes, definitely. And while I think here's the other thing, I, I do the soliciting DC column every month. At multiversitycomics.com. Check it out. Um, and I was talking about how I feel like this is the type of book that that financially can float like a Shazam series. Yes. Like, this is going to make <laughs> enough money for a Booster Gold comic to happen. You oh, know? Um, and whether there's a direct corollary there or not, I don't know. But I do feel like if DC wants to continue down this path of having a, a book... Uh, having a rather a line that is more diverse, they need some big hits to be able to do that. And mm. so I would rather them do books like this that I don't have any interest in, but that 99% of the, of the world that's interested in comics will have a vague interest in this book. I would rather them take this gamble on a non-continuity dependent miniseries that doesn't affect the other books at all than to keep doing stunt work in the monthly books. Yeah. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I I think so. I mean, it, they'll they'll have to put their money where their mouth is. I mean, it, it could be ju- it could be just as easy, if not easier, for them to make bank on this and then just bankroll other things that are going to make them bank. You know. I, I, <laughs> If you really believe they are committed to DCU, then yes. I believe they have to be committed to it. Okay. Which we'll talk about in a little bit. But there, there are some other miniseries announced that we want to talk about briefly. One of them is Batman Europa. Um, 11 years after its original announcement, it is finally coming out. And three or four years after it's it was solicited finally, it's finally coming out. 
Originally, the miniseries was supposed to be four issues, Batman and the Joker teaming up in Europe on a train. It was supposed to be painted by Jim Lee. It is no longer to be painted by Jim Lee. He is only drawing the first issue, although he is doing pencils and inks for the first issue. Um, do you guys have any interest in this book? Uh, I did a couple years ago. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I I don't know. I, I, I kind of... After Death of the Family and Endgame... I'm kind of tired or kind of a little over the whole the Batman Joker dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um I mean I think Snyder took it to its logical conclusion. Yeah. I'm a little burned out on Batman in general. I mean I know I know this isn't a popular opinion, but the the only Batman book I'm really reading right now is uh, Snyder's and Capullo's. Which isn't really a Batman book right now. Yeah, right, right, right. And, uh, it, yeah, I mean, I'll read Batgirl and things like that, but that's something different. You know, I, mm-hmm. I'm really not... I just can't get up for this <laughs> Batman stuff anymore, especially with what Zach said about, you know, the oh, it's the Joker again, you know, and, I think I do think that these books are like great gateway books though for people and they're great for people who are either a like big Batman fans or b um people who are just like looking to get into comics but are intimidated by it and here you're offered these kind of you know continuity light or non-continuity Batman books that are, have high-profile creative teams will get a lot of attention from, like, mainstream media outlets. And, you know, they, they are just appealing to a different a different subset of fans. I have no problem with that in theory, but... like, Okay, so let's, let's say that there's a, a guy out there who really wants to get into comics. He happens to wander into his local shop he finds Batman Europa number one. Is the name Jim Lee going to mean anything to him? As Not much as anyone well, else's name. I mean, I don't know. I know, like, I know from my own experience, like, before I got into comics, I lurked, you know, through... I knew stuff about comics without actually knowing anything about comics. Like, you know, I knew the big names, and okay. I knew the big stories, but I had never read a comic. Okay, that's and, fair. You know, so I don't know. It, it definitely depends. I mean, I I wouldn't say that that's like the typical person who's like wanting to get into comics, but th- I know there are people out there like that. Yeah, but you know, so th- my second question then is, let's say they get in the door because of the Jim Lee name. They're not going to know he's only doing one issue. Are That's they gonna, true. Are they going to be bummed out after he's not doing more? They're going to learn a very important and lasting <laughs> lesson about reading comics monthly. <laughs> and specifically reading Jim Lee comics. Yes, yes, yes very much. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I do think that the idea of a Batman-Joker team-up story is so Silver Age that it piques my interest ever so slightly. I don't think it's going to be any good... But I feel like it's been so long since we've had a story like that. 
it's almost like I, one of the things I like about the Jeff Johns Justice League right now is that we're getting a legitimate Superman Lex Luthor team up story, mm-hmm. and that's something that again hasn't just hasn't been present in so long. And I, I like the idea that these roles aren't so. You know, I love the idea of an arch nemesis, but I, I, I like it more when Superman and Lex Luthor can have common ground. To me, that's a really fun place for the comics to be. I'm not saying full time, but I'm saying, you know, these, these sort of short term little experiments. So the idea of a Batman Joker team up, in principle, I'm not opposed to. I just think it's so different than the comics that are being published right yeah. now. It's been it's- a long time since we've had a Joker where you could do that kind of thing. I mean, it's been probably since pre-Jason Todd's death. Well, you did get that little bit in the Morrison run where he was the, um, what what was his character in that? Oh, yeah. Oberon Sexton? Yes, yeah. yes. But that wasn't, that wasn't Bruce. You're right. That's true. Maybe that was Dick as Batman. You're right. That's true. Um, but yeah, um. I mean, again, is Batman Europa for me? No. Will I read the first issue? Probably. Um, I don't have a, I don't have as much of a problem with this as I do with some other, um, like with the Dark Knight three, for instance. But I don't know if, like, at the end of the day, DC must think that they're going to make a lot of money off this, or else it would have just been canceled and never heard from again. Mm-hmm. So maybe that means it's good. Maybe that means they just know that the creators involved with it have bankable names. Although I don't know if a European-style Batman comic is necessarily a an excuse to print money. No, not necessarily. But I really like who's uh, who's the guy who's doing the breakdowns for it. There's is it um, Giuseppe Camincoli? Yes, yeah. I, I really like him. So I think that'll be interesting. Yeah, I think it's a it's it's a worthwhile experiment. Whether or not it produces anything, I think it's a worthwhile experiment. And, Why not? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Especially because I'm sure the script has been done since the Bush administration. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So you might as well get it out there eventually. Uh, the, the second Bush administration. I'd be crazy if it was you know <laughs> done in '91 or something. But um, okay. And have, are, are there any comics that that have that whose scripts have been completed since the first Bush's administration. Well, didn't Marvel used to have like drawers of fill-ins just waiting waiting to go? Really? I had re- I had read a, I had read a story that there had been that they would they would hire writers to write like a uh, essentially like a, an in between arc sorbet. Uh-huh. Like a story that could be published between arcs, and that they had this this drawer full of scripts, and every now and then, you know, there'd be a Punisher script dusted off and given to an artist, and say, "Here you go, you know, it's time to work on this." So I bet there are still some of those scripts floating around Marvel somewhere. I wonder if Claremont has anything from uh, any X Men stuff from the from HW's era, you know? Yeah, just just like stuff they wouldn't let him do anymore, you know. I mean, wasn't that um, X Men Forever? No, I was thinking. Oh, that's a good. That's actually a good one too. I was thinking, what was the name of that Teen Titans original graphic novel from a few years ago? Oh, uh, that Perez and Wolfman did. Yeah, um, something games or game, yeah. Um, 
I should know this. It wasn't it wasn't half bad actually. But it was started in the eighties and then picked up again like, you know, seven or eight years ago. Really? Yeah. Um and it took place like in the old continuity and you can't really tell where the art changes over. It was called New Teen Titans Games. Games, okay, yeah. Uh, that was probably like 2011 or 2012 that came out, I would guess. Um, I know I reviewed it for Multiversity, so it couldn't have been much before then. Um, but yeah, so there's that. And then the other the other big miniseries of note is uh, Superman American Alien, written by Max Landis, illustrated by a whole bunch of really talented artists, uh, initially at least by Nick Dragata. Um, this is something that I think all three of us have pretty strong opinions on. Um, but let's start with, with Landis in general. Landis is one of these guys that I feel like is more famous for his opinions than for the work he's done. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. what do you guys think about Max Landis, the way he talks about comics? Uh, well, I, I don't. I'm not really buying what he's selling, you know, as far as his opinion is concerned. Um, I didn't really care for his adventures of Superman story. Um, and, and any of the like viral videos of like death and return of Superman or him talking about like his plans for comics that, that will never come out or something like that. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm not like, I, I, I've watched them and I'm just like, okay, like, that's one way of looking at it, you know, but I wouldn't say that I see eye to eye with the way that he thinks about these characters. Um, that said, I know that there's plenty of people that do and putting him on a mini series. That's kind of outside continuity. It's outside continuity, right? I believe so. Yes. Yeah. With a ton of great artists, I'm glad that somebody's going to be able to enjoy that. That's that's fine, but his particular take on these characters is not really for me. Zach, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I feel kind of the same way. Um, me too. I, you know, I yeah, I watched that um, Death and Return of Superman thing he did, and I just thought it was kind of silly. And, um, I, you know, I, I haven't read the Adventures of Superman story that he did. Um, I do recall he did a backup story, um, in Morrison's action comics that really didn't showcase any, like, I, I recall it not being very distinctive to, like, I, you know, it could have been anyone's story, I, I feel like, so I'd. I don't really feel like I have a good um, feel for what a Max Landis Superman story looks like. You know, I kind of expect it to be very Man of Steel-esque. Yeah. Do you know who he reminds me of, even though I think his opinions are probably very different? He reminds Kevin me Smith? Of, yes, Kev, exactly. Kevin <laughs> Smith. Where, where he's this like media gadfly who is popular because he has strong opinions, even if those opinions frequently are terrible. <laughs> like and he and he can tell a story he can tell a story to your face you know yes yes better i think than he can tell one on a page i mean i think that's mm-hmm. definitely the kevin smith story mm-hmm. i mean i could listen to kevin smith talk about batman all day 
Oh, but, sure. But you couldn't pay me to read Batman. Uh, <laughs> I read Wild Lightning Gyre. No, Lightning Gyre. That was the one I read. Yeah. yeah. You couldn't pay me to read that comic. But oh. I'd love to hear the guy sit and talk. I would pay to see him if he did like a Kevin Smith on Batman Night, like at a theater. Mm-hmm. I gotta go see that because he's very entertaining. Um, but, you know, he's full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think Max Landis is too. Um, but this is another one of those opportunities I think that DC has to maybe bring in some new readers, mm-hmm. hopefully, for this. Or at least maybe bring back some lapsed readers. But here's my question about that, because I thought that this was going to come up. What has Max Landis done? And this is not to rag on the guy, because he works really hard. I'm sure he does. He's turning out scripts constantly. What has he done that has actually been, like, financially successful? I think you're looking at this through 2006 eyes. Okay. I think he's a big enough, quote, internet celebrity that it doesn't matter what he's done. Okay, okay. Because That's I have, fair. I have the fair. same thought, you know, especially, like, you know, what's funny to me still about Kevin Smith's superhero work is, like, he's known for writing a bad Superman script and is, like, the authority on <laughs> comics in in mainstream media. He hasn't done anything in comics. His, his, his Daredevil well, he, was okay. He had that. Green Arrow run that I feel like is pretty well... But that all happened after this. He was already the authority on superheroes before that happened. It was like people heard him talk about Superman and Wonder Woman having sex in Mallrats. And were like, (laughs) that's the guy I want to have my opinions based on. I'm just thinking of Stan Lee saying something about superhero sex organs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> Apparently Stan yeah, Lee's going to be a Mallrats too, guys. Yeah, Here. that's that's true. Buy your tickets hey, now. Am, am, I, am I getting old, guy? You said something about, you know, I'm looking at this from a 2006 perspective. Mm-hmm. Am I just old now? Like, who's, what's a YouTube celebrity? I, who's, I couldn't who, name one. Who's PewDiePie? PewDiePie. He's the go-to. I have no idea what that is, guys. Uh, He makes more money than anyone, so... Guys, I I have a daughter and a mortgage and a lot of gray hairs. I have no idea who the fuck that is. (laughs) My my brother-in-law, he's he's 10. He he likes PewDiePie. Okay, enough said. (laughs) I I looked at a list of the VMA performers from last night. Uh-huh. And it looked like somebody was just making up words and putting them together. I had no idea who half those people were. And, I, and I'm pretty musically savvy still, but I had no idea. Just, you know. All right, I digress. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, anything else to add about these miniseries? Um, no, I think I think we I think we hit on them all. I think the general theme is that none of these are really like up our alley, but. I guess we're glad that they're making them. <laughs> I'm glad DC's trying. Yeah. I yeah. think you know, you know, I think once again this this builds into this idea we had that, you know, we we get these DCU books that are new and different and have fresh indie creators and have a lot of diversity and things like that. And then there's also going to be a slate of books that are specifically for some other audience. Mm-hmm. 
And that's what these are. And I, if DC continues that trend and they can put enough resources in all the different baskets, that's great. Yeah, you know, we have praised, or at least I have praised, DC Digital in the past for finding properties to cross people over with. You know, hey, you play the Arkham games, come read this Arkham comic. Uh, you watch Arrow, come read this Arrow comic. You know, they've, they've done a nice job of bringing people from other medium in other media into this comics medium. So maybe this is the next step of that. Hey, we transitioned you from being a fan of the of the Adam West Batman series to reading a Batman comic. Well, here's Batman Europa. Here's the Dark Knight 3. Maybe this is the next step in bringing people from somebody who just likes comic properties outside of comics to now somebody who buys comics either digitally or in a shop to somebody like with a pull list. Maybe this is the next step there. Sure. Maybe. I hope so. Uh, one other miniseries, and it's it's this is really a stretch of a uh, segue here, but there have been uh, one-shots released recently that are in the same universe as the uh, Justice League Gods and Monsters new animated movie that came out uh, a few weeks ago from DC. Uh, Zach, you've seen the movie. Have you also read any of the comics? I've read the Batman and the Superman ones. Um, and well, they're, they're why interesting. Don't, why don't we start with the movie? Because you've okay. seen the movie. Vince and I haven't seen it. Give us the basic gist of it and then you know your your opinion of the film. Okay, um, at its, you know, it's basically, you know, kind of just an Elseworlds what-if type thing where it's, you know, what if Superman was Zod's son and what if uh, Batman was actually, uh, like, Man-Bat. And and so it's like these darker versions of of the characters. How original. uh, Which is very, yeah, exactly. At at first it's very eye-rolling. Um, and in fact, I probably wouldn't have given it the light of day if Bruce Tim wasn't the creative force behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, because this is, it's interesting. It's the first, um, animated film that Bruce Tim has done. I think, I want to say since the Crisis on Two Earths one, I I'm, could be very way off base on that, but it's definitely been a while. It's been a few years since he's done one. Um, and so. I, I checked it out, and I'll say that I it's probably the most enjoyable of their animated films that I've seen in a while. I don't know how much you guys have kept up with them, but like in the past two or three years, um, they've started doing a release schedule where they release two films every year that are based off of New 52 stories and have a shared universe, which is kind of cool. And then they'll do one, um, like, standalone movie. And the Nude 52 ones are okay. Um, they're, a little, they're a little bland. Um, they don't always, like, hit the mark. Um, but, but they're all right. Um, but this one is one of, the, I guess, the standalone releases. And it, the story is actually really well done i think um they make a really he makes really great use of a lot of elements of the dc universe especially um the kind of more scientific characters and the new gods um i think any fan of like 
you know, any of like the mad scientists of the DCU, like Ray Palmer and those guys, or like any new gods fans, like should check out the movie. But it also falls in the same trap that a lot of the movies fall into, which is trying to be really, really air quotes mature and gritty. And that translates, that manifests itself as like using curse words in a really like awkward and forced way and like you know just just being grim and gritty for grim and gritty's sake um and i I, i'll say that it handles it a bit better than some of the other ones i've seen but there are still some very groan worthy moments i can't i can't think of any exactly off the top of my head um well the the thing that i wanted to bring up because i wanted you to convince me that this was going to be worth my time mm mm-hmm is that I watched the the short episode, um, the Harley and Batman one, mm-hmm. and yeah, there's like 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 I, okay, I'm not a prude when it comes to media. Like I love mature films and mature television shows and all that stuff, but I, I don't want to see a Bruce Tim <laughs> uh, superhero cartoon with all this stuff thrown in, you know. And this yeah. little this little episode was like there was like blood and somebody called Harley a bitch I think you know and it was like yeah I was like I ah mean, oh, this is just this just feels gross there there is a lot the- of that yeah there is a lot of that um, okay I I know the episode I've gone back and watched the episode that you're talking about and did not find the movie to be as morally and just in all ways reprehensible as that that little six episode six minute episode short um that was the extreme end but it it is indicative of kind of what they're going for with these movies which is not a um i guess you know all ages approach that their previous animated offerings have kind of you know sought for mm-hmm. what's crazy to me is I, I think if you talk to anybody of our basic generation you know people who are maybe between 25 and 35 or somewhere in that ball or maybe a little bit older a little bit younger if you ask them like what is the most effective and it has to be comic fans not your general public like what's the most effective uh adaptation of a DC character in the last 20 or 30 years almost to a T they're going to say Batman the animated series mm-hmm. right that's that's like that's the gold standard yeah and that was very much an all ages proposition and it still manages to be a little bit dark and it still manages to be you know nowhere near as cheesy as a Batman 66 or as a Tim Burton Batman, or you know any other adaptation there, and yet instead of trying to replicate that, it seems like DC is always trying to go the other way and make something that isn't really all ages friendly. And you know, I, while I understand the impulse to make it mature, I also think that they're forgetting what worked so well in the past. Yeah. Yeah, I I think they've kind of lost sight of, like, what makes something um, worthwhile, I guess. You know, the idea that for something to be 
like worthwhile and relevant. Um, it needs to be, I don't, this movie was very, I mean, it very much, um, caters to the crowds who tune in to watch, say like the walking dead or game of thrones or that kind of thing. The people who are looking for that kind of entertainment will eat this up. Um, in fact, there's one scene that is just like straight up out of Game of Thrones. And it's actually one of my favorite parts in the movie. It's it's the um, part of the Wonder Woman origin flashback. And it's really, I mean, it's it was really interesting. It was a nice twist. I, don't, I won't spoil it because in, in case you guys, uh, you know, go watch it sometime. But I don't know. They're, they are catering to a certain crowd. Have, Ed, this is going to seem slightly off topic. Have either of you guys watched Teen Titans Go? Yeah, I've, yeah, caught, yes. I've caught bits of it, yeah. Okay, see, my daughter is now obsessed with it. Yeah. Uh, we were on vacation last week, and I showed her the first uh, an episode on TV, and like tonight she had a literal meltdown when it was time to stop watching Teen Titans Go. And I had given her a Teen Titans Go comic after she saw it and liked it, and she loves that now, and she wants to see yeah. more comics. That's that's really funny that you bring that up. My my brother-in-law that i mentioned earlier he so yeah he um you know will ask me to take him to comic shops to look for teen titan comics and um there's not really a lot of options to meet what he's expecting like i'll show him like you know the wolfman perez new teen titans um you know maybe some of the uh, Peter David Young Justice stuff, and mm-hmm. you know maybe maybe a few other things like the Teen Titan Go comics. But most of the time, he he like reads those and is you know like this isn't what I like. This isn't Teen Titans Go, you know. Right, but and, I do think like one of the things it's it's already done is like my daughter now every year at New York Comic Con I try and find a, a gift to buy her, mm-hmm. and like you know one year I was on a hunt for Muppets comics so she likes the Muppets but like, I can get her a Beast Boy toy and she'll fucking love it like she'll think it's the coolest thing in the world and at least it's creating an a uh, an identity for these characters in yeah. these kids and I just feel like the I'm not saying that the DC animated films have to do that I'm not saying they have to have the same purpose of like introducing people to the characters for the first time but I do feel like if you're going to produce those animated films and if you have any interest at all in targeting younger viewers, you have to make it somewhat palatable to them. Mm-hmm. Well, I do know that there is another line that they've started. There's two two that I know about. There's like a new line of Batman movies. Yeah, it's 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 like Batman. It's not the Outsiders, but it's something I think it's like uh it's like I want to say it's like Batman Unlimited or something like that. Yes, that's exactly what it's called. Okay. And it's There's... a team up. It's like Batman, Green Arrow, Nightwing, Mm-hmm. I forget yeah. who the fourth one is. And then I think there's been some like Justice League movies that have a pretty similar tone mm-hmm. as well. Um, so there there is something out there, but it's much lower profile and like obvious, much more obviously geared towards a younger audience rather than say like the all ages audience that the late '90s, early 2000s projects had. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vince, you have uh, a young child living in your house. Is there any comics interest there? Uh, actually, we were watching Teen Titans Go 
just a couple weekends ago, and she was pretty captivated by it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's kind of a absurd show. Oh, you know, absolutely, yeah. That has very little to do with superheroes. But uh, but it's funny how much sometimes they do sneak in there. Mm-hmm. Like th- there's an episode where Terra comes to visit, and Beast Boy falls in love with her and doesn't realize she's just trying to steal the Titan secrets and like sabotage them. <laughs> and like as somebody who has read those comics, that's really funny. But uh-huh. my daughter doesn't need to have read those comics. That's still like she still gets that, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Well, I guess the sampling that we were watching wasn't representative of that because they were like ordering pizza or something yeah okay well but anyway yes there there is some some interest and i mean she she'll come home from the library with uh a comic style kids book you know um she's got some wonder woman she's got a superman book she's got she's got an all ages superman book that is based on man of steel so like (laughs) yeah so it looks like like michael shannon you know as zod but you read it you read it does he have hands or flippers (laughs) (laughs) in the sequel (laughs) no no but uh (laughs) but it's funny because you read that book and it's funny the stuff that they just like there's just big chunks missing because it's too adult for all ages, you know. Like at the end, like well, Zod just disappeared. I guess you know. Like, they don't say Superman snapped his neck brutally, um, but anyway, that's uh-huh. yes. So yes, there there is there is interest there. Do we think that that through their animated films is the best way to get young viewers or young? media consumers into comics characters? Not right now. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, no, I think things like, I, you know, I think things like Teen Titans Go and, I mean, that's what's working right now. I mean, not just a few years ago, we had things like Young Justice and the Green Lantern animated series, which weren't necessarily successful, but they were really good. Critically, and, Batman the Brave know, and the Bold was Brave and the Bold. Yeah, I mean, we've had really good projects that just kind of, I don't know, don't aren't successful on like the level that I guess they need to be. And so, I, w- I wonder if some of that is just heightened expectations. Like, I, I wonder if Cartoon Network just expected Green Lantern the animated series to do more than it did. I think and, everyone kind of did before the movie came out. Well, yeah, that's true also. <laughs> yeah. How that goddamn movie. <laughs> well, all right, guys. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear a chat with Aaron Cooter right now, an artist on uh, Action Comics and one of the truly nice guys in all of comics. So enjoy that. We're going to be back with another short discussion after that. Hey, kids. Do you like comics? Do you like in-depth interviews with your favorite creators and interesting discussion about the medium? Do you enjoy different accents? Then chances are you're really going to like Orbital in Conversation. It's the podcast of Orbital Comics in Central London, where we bring you the best and the brightest in comics, and we do it all with a bit of fun, a bit of style, and a bit of panache. 
You can find us here on the Multiversity Comics Network every week. All right, so we have Aaron Cooter on the line. He is the artist and co-writer for Action Comics right now. And uh, we want to start, we were talking before you got on the call about how it must be challenging to, to be drawing a character like Superman who has this iconic look, but you have to draw him without most of what makes him iconic. So our first question for you is, how do you draw Superman without really drawing what we come to know as Superman? You know, I've been dealing with that from day one. Um yeah, even even like you know when I when I came on to uh, to Superman books, uh, it was still I think it was the second year of New Fifty Two, mm-hmm. and uh, there was still well that was when I first came to, to DC. So, um, and it was probably about a year later that I that I worked on Superman stuff, but um, people weren't even weren't used to the New Fifty Two look as. Uh, you know, and I hate saying New 52, I don't know what it is, but, like, I feel like it just hits everybody's, like, knee, and, <laughs> and, and like, everybody's like, oh, man, I just, I just want to not like that. <laughs> um, but, you know, here's this new look, uh, here's this, this look that, that, that was designed by a, a more of a contemporary group of folk, and even, even when I was drawing him, it was hard to get Superman vibe out of it um, because all the things that they wanted and the, the 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 powers that be wanted in the 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 small mandates of we want to show this character growing into his powers we want to show this character stumbling before he soars um, and that you know n- nobody told me that in particular but you know I, I may be paraphrasing I don't want to get anybody in trouble. But um, but those are very much those are incredibly. Uh, I don't I don't know what I'm saying. If my mouth is working, <laughs> um, <laughs> those are those are the those are the things that you don't picture Superman doing. Um, at all, and so, and so even from day one, I had to, I I had to really focus in on what are the things that make Superman Superman visually. And because not only not only do we all know him, but we're we're showing him doing things and being a person that we're not quite used to. Um, and so and, and so even even that was a trouble a problem. And I found the solution was the same from day one to to with the new with the new uh, the new look the the jeans and t shirt look um, that. It's it's all in posture. It's all in in how he he looks out at the world. It's body language. It's, um, you know, if you have a moment to give him to give to give hope out into the world, he does it. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Alan Alan Davis is a huge inspiration of mine, and he was just the king of. Those subtle body body language uh, moments, um, and it, and yeah, like you know, I've I've definitely tried to tap into the, those moments that inspired me from him. Is there? A, go ahead, Vince. So, so then, on the on the flip side of that, there was one opportunity, at least within the pages of of a DC comic, that you were 
able to depict what we know as the classic version of Superman yeah. <laughs> with, with the red trunks. What was that, what was that like for you? And then what was your thought process thinking like, did you think this might be the one chance I get to do this? <laughs> um, it's well, you know, hopefully I'll live long enough. Um, <laughs> long enough for them to bring the trunks back. Well, just to be able to, to draw them more. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I'd like to say that I handled it just like any other job, uh, that it wasn't, you know, I just, I heard it and I did it and I, you know, busted through it. But I literally, like, I did a jig. <laughs> I, like, uh, my editor told me about the, the, the concept or the idea when, uh, I was, I was literally in between flights on the way back from, uh, Comic-Con last year. Uh, San Diego Comic Con last year, and uh, and like I stopped in the airport and I did the <laughs> <laughs> like doop that stupid doop boop 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 boop. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it, that was that was incredible, and and not only that, but like so when when that project first that was the the, the page that got printed, and you're talking about the the last page of Doomed Number Two, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, where it's, it's like the intro, the first scene that we see, uh, what was going to be the convergence stuff. Um, and when you, when you, when you see that image, you see a whole bunch of different universes, right? Um, when I got, when I was told to do it, uh, I was told that, that because I'm, I'm drawing Superman stuff, we're going to just focus on the Superman multiverse, so I was going to draw classic pre-52 Superman and um, Kingdom Come Superman, Red Sun Superman, and all these other Superman. Um, but, and I drew that. And so the page that you saw in the end was the second, second time going around. You wouldn't happen to want to gift that first page to a three guys who do a podcast, now, would you? We can barter. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I've got. I've got to say uh, that that just goes to show that the power that the art, artistic side of comic books actually has. Because Brian and Zach and I, after we saw that page, we probably discussed that one page more than anything that DC was doing around that mm. time. You know, I mean, we were just, we loved it. We, we flipped for it. So, so yeah, thank, I, thank you for contributing that. Oh, it, was, it was my jig. <laughs> <laughs> now, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned Alan Davis um, as an influence. Um, I think in the past you've mentioned Frank Quitely and Jeff Darrow as influences. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, more so, I would say, more so on the Art Adams side. Okay. Uh, my Ad, Art Adams, Michael Golden. Um, definitely. I mean, not to take anything away from you know my influences by Quietly and uh, and Darrow. Sure. But I didn't discover them until I'd already just like developed a style of my own. So. Okay. So. So one one thing that that I think of when I see your art sometimes, but that I haven't actually heard you talk about is so, sometimes I'm looking at at your drawings and I think there's like a little bit of manga in there. Is that is that accurate or is that completely like uh, 
Do you, do you see that at all, or I, I wouldn't say manga. Okay. Um, I would say I'm also uh, hugely influenced by Hayao Miyazaki. Oh, okay, yeah. Yep. So if there's a Miyazakium or uh-huh. some some term like that, then I definitely <laughs> I definitely fall in. Like you know, my thing is not the art is 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 one thing, but uh, you know I don't. I don't beat myself up over the head trying to draw better than anybody else out there because, sure, you know the, there are so many people that can draw way better than me. Um, but my thing is storytelling, um, and you know when the the first time I was introduced to Miyazaki, um, I was given. Uh, I was gifted two of his movies. It was uh, Castle in the Sky and uh, Naushka. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the the movies that I was given were in Japanese without any subtitles. Ah. So I watched them. I think by the third time I watched them, I could tell you what the characters were saying. Um, that's masterful storytelling that's what everybody should be shooting for when they're when they're trying to compose a story in visual form whether it's comic books movies uh animation whatever it it, it needs to be universal mm-hmm. um you know that that kind of it's funny. My wife and I, we actually just like spent the summer watching, watching through all the the Miyazaki movies. So that's like really on my mind right now. But yeah. um, like Miyazaki, you know, he, you know, he's an artist and a storyteller. All at the same time, it's all wrapped into one. And you know, we've gotten to see you do take on some writing gigs as well too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you did the Parasite one shot where, where you. Um, we're writer artists, and then you you wrote um, the arc of Superboy. Um, right. What are you know what when you when you're looking in at, at, at like a at a you know a writing gig or an artist gig? What are what are some of the things that you look for? And you know maybe what do you what do you enjoy the most about a particular um, project? Um, and, well, it's, it's project dependent, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you, you, it's, it's, it, it, you know, if you look over the span of the, the two years that Greg and I have been working together on action, you can look at each, each one of our story arcs and say, that's a different genre than, than the previous arc. Um, you know, uh, with the, one of our first one of our first stories was about the subterraneans who are now reappearing in Batman and Batman and Superman, um, and it was it was it was high fantasy, it, uh, it, you know, like uh, then that followed, I believe, with Doomed, um, and that was you know the sci-fi adventure. Um, I'm I'm not really sure. I didn't really have a huge part in Doomed. Other than, well, I guess I had a huge part, but it was like one page. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, the, then you move on, and like you know, you know, and like we just wrapped up 
Horrorville last year, and that was that was Superman and a horror story. Um, so no matter what you're doing, it like it, it it brings new tools to the trade. You know, like almost all of these story arcs have me experimenting with a new medium. Like in Horrorville, I I, I did a a, a scene, uh, a couple of scenes where Clark is. Um, confronting the fears from his past, his fears from the present, and fears from the future. And if you look at those pages, they start out in um, in rendered pencils, and then in the future, it's all ink wash. Mm. And I slowly blend them over those over those pages. Um, and that's that's the that's the fun part about storytelling in comic book form is that you know you're only limited by what what you have in your hands. That's a, uh, that's an, that's an amazing little bit of detail that I wonder how many readers. No, are reading nobody it. noticed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go back and I'm going to look for that now because that's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you are, are the co-writer of action comics with Greg. Greg is mm-hmm. obviously an incredibly accomplished writer. How do you guys come at this together? Is he presenting a plot? Do you guys plot out together? You know, what's the process of you guys working together? He's Greg's been absolutely amazing to work with um, from day one. Uh, we initially were working plot first. Uh, some people have another name for it, where he gives a, 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 a perhaps a, a, a competitor in the field. Yeah, we don't need to talk about that. No, of course no. not. <laughs> no, it's a certain style. We understand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. right, right. Um, we call it the cooter pack style. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or Brilliant. Pack pack cooter style. Um, uh, so Rolls yeah, we right off always, the tongue that way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, we've worked, uh, you know, hand in hand on story elements from the beginning. Uh, when he wrote the first script or was right about to write the first script that we worked on, it was uh, our editor, Eddie Verganza, who stepped in and was like, hey, this plot, what, what do you think about just giving the plot to Aaron and letting him work with it? And Greg, who didn't know me, was like, uh, okay, like, we can try. <laughs> um, and But it just clicked right away, you know. Um, and so us co-writing... Is really just the the natural next step. We we oftentimes will go back and forth and do the 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 like ooh isn't this a cool scene oh but wouldn't it be cooler if we did this? Um, just it's 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 like when you're sitting around telling a story with a buddy, uh, and then we get to see it in print. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's pretty incredible. Uh, has has there been any any unforeseen challenges to working with a, with a co writer, or has it been pretty smooth sailing for the two of you? <laughs> the the uh, the only challenge that uh, I've had is that ninety percent of the reviews only refer to me as the artist. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, really, it's it's there's there hasn't been any like problems due to us working together at all like we 
I think I, th- I you know I, I think I can speak for Greg in that you know when a problem comes along, it's more of a challenge to make your story better, um, and and to make sure that you're not just slapping something together for to make other people happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know that there was. Um... How can I put this politely? There, there, there were rumors a few years ago of sort of a lot of editorial interference, and actually at, at both of the big two companies. Uh, does it make it easier when having a co-writer to be able to have someone else in the trenches with you <laughs> when one of those problems does pop up? That you, it's not just one brain working on something, but the two of you are able to work through the issue a little bit easier together. Um, you know, for the most part we've pretty much been left alone over the, over the, the span of it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been occasionally things that have come down and said, okay, you have to do this or you have to do that. Um, and for the most part, we, we we're like, okay, you know, we can make that work. If, if it makes sense, if it doesn't, we'll, we'll be like, hey, are you sure? Do we have to? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But really, I, I, I know the rumors that you're talking about, and I feel like some creative teams got that a lot more than we ever have. Um, I'm not sure why. I mean, maybe maybe they like what, are, what we're doing, but uh, what I, we've been doing. I mean, they should. <laughs> it's been good. <laughs> it's, it's been quite good. Uh, <laughs> the, Tell the retailers. <laughs> I think retailers know, man. I, I do. I, I hope they know. I've been, I've been going. I've been, you know, doing my little polls, and so many stores like run out, like sell out, and that's great. But it makes me wonder, like, okay, did you order five? <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I know I I missed um, Action Forty Two when it came out. Just got busy, didn't make it in the store that day, and I have had the hardest time trying to find that issue. I, I've had I I ordered it about two weeks ago from my from my local shop and they just haven't it, been able to get a hold of it. Yeah. So uh, what, what state do you live in? I'm in um, Kentucky. Yeah, I'm nowhere near Kentucky. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm sure I'll find one somewhere. <laughs> I'm going. I'll, I'll be at uh, uh, there's a convention in in Cincinnati in a couple of weeks. Uh, the the one that uh, Tony Moore right. started. Yeah. I'm sure, right. I'm sure oh, it'll nice. be hanging around there. Hopefully, yeah. Uh, loitering, yes. Near, near, near Tony's session, just, just yeah. waiting to be, to be picked up. Hey, hey, kids! Um, what are you doing over there? <laughs> you want some candy? <laughs> you got a good voice for that. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's why I was happy. This was audio only. <laughs> So uh, another thing we wanted to ask you about was, um, uh, you can correct us if, if we're wrong, but we get the impression that the uh, the majority of your work at DC so far, I know, I know you did, you do a lot of covers, um, I know you did some Green Lantern stuff, but the majority of it is done, or has been done, with Superman and the Superman family, Superman, Superboy. Um, normally, it seems like... Um, they they give Superman to uh, really established artists to try to give it a kick in the pants, especially when um, 
you know, Superman's varied in popularity over the the last mm-hmm. few years. But you you got after it really early with Superman. I, I want to say, uh, I mean, especially when you I, consider your work with the big two specifically, right? Um, yeah. What what has that been like? Has it been? Yeah, as as far as my work with the big two, I've been really amazingly lucky to in the short span of my career. I, I started in, at the the very tail end of 2010, almost 2011, and um, and that was that was a year before I started with DC. My. And in that time, I've been able to work on some of my absolute favorite characters ever uh, for both companies. Um, and I only did one, one, <laughs> two issues and four covers for for that uh, those other guys before I <laughs> before I signed up for, for DC. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I don't. I you know, I I really think it, a lot of it has to do with. The uh, uh, my editor has a lot of uh, maybe uh, I'm not I'm not sure how to put it uh, trust in me. Well, it, it doesn't <laughs> uh, hurt that you're knocking it out of the park. You know, I mean, like um, I don't. I you know, it's it's kind of humble pie uh, <laughs> to to think about this stuff because. Because I, when I came on to DC, I had a lot of a lot of people that um, a lot of people that I had grown up admiring, telling me that they're in my corner, telling me that they they, they love my work, telling me that like all this stuff, and uh, in in my in the back of my brain, I, I just kept being like, "Holy crap, I have to live up to this now." <laughs> um, yeah, it's amazing. Like you know, uh, the uh, Andy Kubert uh, was one of the first people that like spoke up for me. Um, it just it's 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 been it's it's been an incredible handful of years. Uh, sometimes uh, you know hair pulling, but for the most part, just uh, completely. Awesome in the very true sense of that word, awe and some. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's got to be crazy to to walk into a company and then you know less than a year or so later be handling the most iconic character in all of comics. <laughs> you know, it keeps you keeps you humble about that. It's like you know, I think it was uh, right after issue twenty five came out. Uh, I was somebody was tweeting something about. Uh, about me being on Superman and or me being on action and and then uh, in the middle of it, like I was reading through it, I replied to some, and then Jim Lee tweets, "Yeah, let's not forget that this is like the character of characters here, so, you know, something like that." I'm like, "Oh, hey, Jim, thanks." <laughs> no pressure okay. there whatsoever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But that's awesome, you know. And uh, you you have no bigger fans than over at Multiversity. We uh, we've been big fans of your work for a long you time. You guys, you guys were one of the um, I think one of the first uh, websites to ever do a feature on me. That was amazing. Oh well, um, it was our pleasure. It was my pleasure. Yeah. 
So um, we uh, we always try to play a little bit of a game with our guests to uh, to do something a little bit fun here. So because you have had to to draw Superman in without his iconic accoutrement, we'll say we're gonna throw a couple of names of characters at you, and we're gonna get sort of how you would what how you would redesign them for for a simpler costume for a real streamlined look. So, uh, <laughs> by the way, for the record, I yes. do not consider the jeans and t-shirt a costume. No, no, it's not. It's, it's, okay, it's a, it's a more streamlined look. It's a it's what he just happens to be wearing today. It, it was a it was a personal statement to himself when he has nothing else. He can he can buy a t-shirt and still be Superman. Yeah, anyway. I like that. I like that. Yeah. So, so what what was sort of the streamlined version of Batman's costume look like? Uh, Batman Beyond. I think that's the most streamlined you can get. Oh, it's a clever answer. When, when in doubt, steal from somebody else's design. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, that one was too easy. Zach, why don't you give him a harder one? Um, how about Galactus? Galactus. I think. I think the uh, if 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 I were to like. It, pour my brain onto what is Galactus. There would be a lot of like elements like kitchen aid utensils. <laughs> um, uh, I used to be an electrician before I got into comic books, so there's a lot of sparky stuff. Um, yeah, it, it would be it, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be streamlined at all. <laughs> it, I mean, Jeff Darrow would think about this and be like, no, I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to do that. So it would it would be like like steampunk with kitchen appliances, cosmic steampunk Kirby, yeah, <laughs> sort of yeah yeah pipes everywhere, yeah. as long as it's not a cloud, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen the new FF movie. No, I, I but, haven't but, but but like of all the hor- or all of the the, the 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 bad reviews I can't imagine that it's any worse than the first one. No, <laughs> I, I mean I don't want to imagine a world that li- that I live in that, that has that. We could do an entire five hour show on why no one has nailed the Fantastic Four movie yet, but we won't do that. Uh, Vince, you got a character to throw out there? Yeah, so so one that has, is seems to be constantly redesigned and, and and nobody can really settle on anything is Wonder Woman. What would you do with Wonder Woman? Oh man, I I did redesign her as a like an online sketch challenge sort of thing years ago. Mm. Um, but I don't think I understood her then. I, I uh. Ooh, let's. Um, there would have to be a lot of the classic elements. Uh, I, I don't think anybody would ever take away the the chest plate. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no problem with pants. Um, I, in one of my one of my designs, she had kind of um like flowy yoga pants not the tight yoga pants but like you know um man she's a tough one 
you know, she's she's a timeless character, much like Superman. But mm-hmm. she she actually represents a movement. Yeah, you know, I mean, and that's the huge difference. I mean, I mean, Superman represents hope and and uh, and and um a, a drive to be better, but. Wonder Woman represents people's struggle and and uh, a, a desire not to be sh- uh, stepped on um, in in a on a societal level. So, it, I mean, it, it would take me a lot more than you know ten minutes and half a half a whiskey and coke to come up with an answer. <laughs> That's fair, and, and being a visual guy, I would I would definitely need a doodle. Yeah. Uh, okay. Final one here, and this is a character that has been just so again a million looks, but none that have really worked the way the iconic one worked. How would you redesign Hawkman? Hawkman. Wow. Um, gladiator in the sky. Very. Uh, how do I streamline his look? I would shave his head and give his entire face and upper torso body tattoos of a bird, like, totem sort of ink. Um, nobody's going to like this answer, I know. <laughs> and, uh, I like it. I get some um, drawings after this. Yeah, we should. That would be awesome. Send them my way. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think there's anything wrong with his mace. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a it's it's like one of those one of those weapons that you could see in any time period. Uh, you know, it, Kirby's future uh, new uh, new god sort of, and somebody has a mace. Wow. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think I would go a little bit tribal, a little, a little, uh, a little less helmety. I mean, and this is this is not what I think would stick. Right. I know that this would be thrown out within like six months of it ever made it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, um, I would go bizarre with him because I, I I have this thing I I don't like birds. <laughs> I think I, I I once I once chicken sat. Like you know, and I walked into the coop to collect the eggs and to 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 change out all the ingrateful birds' waters and foods and stuff. And I swear, it looked like I felt like I was about to get shanked. Like, and these were these were quasi free range chickens. Like these were the these were the happiest chickens I've ever met. Like this was this wasn't like cages or anything. This was my mom's chicken coop, and they were still out uh, to get you. They wanted blood. Uh, so so ever since then, I have not trusted birds. Like I, I like maybe it's just birds that can't fly. Maybe they're just constantly frustrated. But but you know, like that so wouldn't would, equate to Hawkeye or Hawkman. Yeah. Would you? So would you keep the wings, or would you maybe go with like you know? 
Archangel oh, yeah, you have, you have to style metal wings. wings or no 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 you have to keep the the, the feather wings absolutely okay okay um, but that's what makes the tattoos all the more impressive like uh, because it, you you think you're gonna know him you see the silhouette you see the you see the uh, the, the the giant feathers coming at you. And then there's this crazy guy with travel tattoos and a sh- shaved head. Yeah, no, I like. Um, yeah, I want to draw this now, but you know, I, if you, I, whenever I you're done, I don't Superman, have time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We haven't had a Hawkman book in a while. It's very true. Very true. Is there any character that to you just? You know, we've talked about a couple of any to you that just is are in dire need of a redesign. Of a redesign? Man. I I I love designing. I love redesigning. Um I I don't think I would hesitate at the chance to try to redesign anything. Um so it's 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 all it's all putty. Mm-hmm. It's all, it's all mud in my hands. I'm, uh, you know, some some would require serious thought. Others would would not. <laughs> um, very diplomatic I, I, answer. I, I, you know, I'd love to do. Um, I, I grew up loving the design of Firestorm. Mm-hmm. Um, he was my favorite super friend. You know, uh, it, it would be fun to to try to try to do something with him the the only problem that i have with with designing characters is that i design them for comics and i design them so that i can draw them <laughs> uh oftentimes what happens is i get i get uh feedback that says and you know, nobody else is going to want to draw this <laughs> or uh we can't make a toy out of this <laughs> um there was a particular villain that I that I I, I designed. Um, it, it, it it was a one issue wonder, um, and I, I the, my first I, I think I did like ten designs of him, and and one of them was this gaseous cloud sort of creature that had basically like silk scarves and uh, like a kabuku mask. Um, and I was like, this is great. This is awesome. Who wouldn't want this? And <laughs> editorial it, it, let you know. <laughs> yeah, nobody nobody said no outright. Everybody was like, Yeah, that's really cool. But we're gonna go with this. And I feel like I feel like on some level that was you know, if this if this character hits, we got we got we got we gotta be able to market it. Mm. Um that's a really interesting, you know, I'm sure that's that's a reality of the uh, of the industry, but I never think of it that way. You know, uh, to me, it, it seems so clear. Of course, you're going to design it for comics first, and then after that, you, you worry about it if you have to. Um, but yeah. I'm sure that's not the way it is all the time. It, it's, it's not the way. Like, um, yeah, I mean, I don't, it's, it's. I don't think it's the way it is. I mean, a lot of the things that I think versus reality are not necessarily, you know, synchronizing. Mm-hmm. 
and that's that's been true my whole life (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah i mean there are there are other people down the road that they have to think about um uh well how 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 feasible is this character sort right. of thing right you know well Aaron thank you so much for coming on the show if people want to find out more about you on the internet how would they go about doing that um stalk me no <laughs> uh, uh Aaron Cooter or at Aaron Cooter is my Twitter handle um I'm on Facebook just by name mm-hmm. are you doing any conventions for the rest of the year yeah, uh, I, you know, uh, shush. Uh, I believe my next one is New York Comic Con. You have to come to the Multiversity Party again. It's the place to be. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Let me let me know about it at the at the show. Will do. Um, and let's see. There's uh, and actually in Central Arkansas, where where you know, Arkansas is where I am from. Oh, I'm at, from at, Arkansas originally. at this moment. Oh yeah, we're in Arkansas. Uh, northeast, um, near like Jonesboro, but I did um, my underground uh, under, undergrad uh, north of Little Rock in in Searcy. Okay, um, yeah, I live in I live in Fayetteville, Arkansas now. Okay, uh, my my wife is is from Southern Arkansas, okay. and uh, in November there's a a convention in Conway, Arkansas that I'll be going to. Conway, I, I have been there. Yeah, uh, it's actually a really fun show. Um, and then, you know, I don't know if it's been announced or anything, but uh, I'll, I'll I'll go ahead and spoil it. Uh, I, I, I'm gonna do Emerald City for the first time, which I'm really excited That's about. That's a great show. Well, it, it's it's actually my second time. It's my first time as a pro. Okay. Uh, I used to live in Seattle, and uh, I love the I love the city so much. Um. It's, it's, it's the Reno of shows. It's like the the biggest little show there is. Like it, doesn't, it needs to stay that way. I mean, yeah, is, yeah. I mean, well, it's, it's, Seattle itself is 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 not really built to. It's 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 a funky city. Like you can you can have thousands and thousands of people get lost, and it turns turns out that they're right around the corner from each other. Like <laughs> it's 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 a strange city. Um, lots of ups and downs and twists. Uh, probably one one of the reasons I like it, and probably one of the reasons that there are such a vast number of uh, science fiction and fantasy novelists out there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then uh, probably C two E two, and then after that, I don't. Uh, oh oh, Magic City uh, in in January before before uh, Emerald City. Forgive my ignorance. Where is uh, the Magic City? Uh, Miami. Okay. Miami, Florida, in January. That's that's a nice that gig. Is strategic. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, uh, my wife decreed I was not allowed to miss that one. Oh, good. You see, that sounds like you're a very wise wife. Well, she's coming. That's why. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna take a quick break. Be back in just a second. Big thanks to Eddie Argos and Art Brute for the use of their track DC Comics and Chocolate Milkshake as our theme music. Make sure to check out at Eddie Argos on Twitter for all sorts of information about the wonderful musician and raconteur that is Mr. Argos. I'm in love with the girl in my comic shop. 
She's a girl that likes comics. She probably gets it a lot. And we are back. Um, so, boys, I'm sure you saw this this week. Uh, there have been some rumors out there that, uh, perpetuated by a certain website that will go unnamed, but um, its title has to do with uh, your body secreting something that's not quite hot and not quite cold. Um, but, you know, cutting your arm open and something. You know what I'm saying. You guys all got the stupid reference I'm making. Um Essentially, they're saying that the DCU, which is the June rebranding, has been a financial disaster and that DC is uh, a couple million dollars in the red and that they are going to go back to a more austere product that will take less chances and be more, uh, to use the term, uh, meat and potatoes comics. Uh, Since then, there have been a number of reports that have come out that essentially confirm the numbers but then DC's co-publishers Dan DiDio and uh, Jim Lee said that's, that while the sales are not where they wanted them to be, they are sticking with this program and that this is something they believe in and they believe that the audience will catch up. So in general, what are your thoughts about this? Are you surprised that the books didn't quite sell the way we were hoping they would? I'm, uh, I, I'm not surprised. And yet I'm disappointed. And uh, I guess I'm not surprised because if you look at the things that sell the most from the big two month after month, they are very much things that are not new by and large and are not risky. And, um, and a lot of these things are risks. I mean, uh, a Midnighter solo book is a risk, despite it being one of the best things that DC is putting out right now. Um, it, it takes a lot to get somebody who's not a hardcore comic book fan to go into the shop and buy that, you know. And then even if you are hardcore, you have to be open to change and diversity and something new and different, and that's not always the case. So I guess I'm not surprised because we see it all the time, um, but I'm nonetheless disappointed that that the types of series that garner so much praise online and just so much promotion from people who are willing to get out there and talk about them aren't supported with the kind of sales that they need. I was surprised. I wasn't surprised that it wasn't a rousing success, but I was surprised by how kind of poorly it did do. Um, I'm looking at the numbers right now, and the only new book to launch in June that broke a hundred thousand was Justice League of America. <sighs> That's the only one. Um, the next <sighs> highest one. The next highest new book was. I, I won't count Harley Quinn and Power Girl because that's a, that's a miniseries and a spinoff of another book. Um, the next highest one was Robin, Son of Batman, which came in at 64000 which is... That's respectable. I mean, it's respectable, but when you think about a Marvel, the like a, a Marvel number one, usually 
if it's even like a moderately high profile book, we'll launch in at least the eighties, if not like low one hundred thousands, at least for the first issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, some of the books that I enjoyed the most, I think, like the um, Omega Men, which was probably my favorite of the books, mm-hmm. was the lowest selling of the new titles. Ugh. No, I take that back. Prez was. <laughs> yeah. So, and those both came in at the high 20, low 30s, which is That's an abysmally low place one. to start. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and almost all of the books that we loved, I'm, let's see, Midnighter. Um, let's see. Martian Manhunter. I'm Martian sure. Manhunter, yeah, it was a little bit higher, 36. Um, yeah, all these books are coming in in the mid to low 30s off the bat, um, which is really, really disappointing. What I'm surprised about is, to me, DC rolled these out incredibly smart, in an incredibly smart manner. Having those eight-page divergence previews for free was super smart, I think we all agreed that most of them were handled pretty well. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. um, it they didn't. It wasn't fifty-two new books coming out at once. They were staggered across the month. I really think that, and I, and I know we're DC guys, and I know we're you know at least I'm a little bit biased in this matter. I really feel like there was something for every kind of comic fan in that in those relaunch titles. And if those can't sell, then I don't know. I don't know what what the solution here is. Um, I don't know if we were expecting too much, or if maybe the here's so here's an idea. Could it just be Zach? Because you seem to to keep abreast of the sales numbers more than I do, at least. Do you feel that maybe these books did not have the bump for a number one but will be more consistent month to month no because i'm actually looking at july right now <laughs> and omega men was at seventeen thousand. Oh man come on which is pretty a pretty typical drop from first to second issue it's a little over it's about a 40 percent drop um which is pretty typical um and I Prez was thirteen thousand, which at first oh. when they announced in the solicits that it was go- dropping from a twelve issue to a six issue miniseries, I kind of balked. But now I can, I mean, I can see why they did that. Well, supposedly um, it's going to be two six issue miniseries. That's the official party line. Oh, is that is that confirmed? Yes, the Dio said that. That makes me want to cry because that book is awesome. Yeah. Do we know if there's been? I I know they don't release digital numbers. I wonder if there's been a higher in t- uh, uptick of digital rele- of digital purchases because you know, of the digital that, previews. That's a really interesting point. And no, they don't release those. And I was actually just reading a, a thing today about how you know uh, regarding the perceived financial woes and just kind of how the diamond um, sales charts are really probably more than ever extremely inaccurate an inaccurate look of what's really going on just because of like how, well, for anyone, like 
anyone who doesn't know, like the numbers they report are the n- numbers that stores actually buy of each book, not how many they sell. Um, and so they're, they're greatly inflated um, because stores are much more willing to take risks on Marvel books than DC books. Um, and, you know, you definitely see, a, I, I personally see a lot more Marvel books lying around, um, you know, from week to week than I do see DC books. I know the stores that I go to around, uh, they have a hard time keeping back issues of DC stuff in stock because they order so little of it compared to the piles and piles of Marvel books they have. Um, because I think maybe Marvel incentivizes a little bit better. Probably. But, but, um, yeah, like the, you know, this doesn't take digital sales into account. And if anybody is doing well on digital, I think it's probably DC because of things like the, the convergence sneaks, sneak peeks and, and that sort of thing. So I don't know that that's interesting. I mean, it's depressing. (laughs) It really is. Um, because I, I feel like this was finally DC listening to four years of people bitching and moaning about the new 52. And this was a way for them to have their cake and eat it too. And if this succeeded, I could see the next wave of books being even more, um, I don't want to say challenging because I don't think these books are particularly challenging. I just think that they're, they're interesting. Now the other argument here is you know maybe they never intended midnighter or prez or the omega men to last more than 12 issues well and i think because didn't they come out at the time and say that these are all getting at least 12 issues yes uh whether or not they stick to that or not it's gonna be a different story but yeah right but i don't think they would have even said that for starters if they didn't know that they were kind of fighting an uphill battle you know yeah, mm-hmm. like the fact that you preface a release of all these weird new books with these are all getting at least twelve issues, you know, kind of says to me like these are not the type of books that last more than twelve issues, right? right. You know, you know. So, but still, you got to do better than that twenty thousand mark, you know. Yeah, and and if you're just starting out with your number one issue. At or below that, you're screwed, and that's really sad. To it does it depresses me. I'm depressed now. <laughs> and uh, I wonder if there's like you know, um, there's a, a very famous story in the music industry where when uh, Geffen Records signed Sonic Youth to a contract, they never expected Sonic Youth to make them any money. The reason they signed Sonic Youth was so that Sonic Youth would attract other hip bands to the label. And I I wonder if DC would ever keep a book like The Omega Men or Midnighter going because of the credibility it gives them, or if they are so bottom line and dependent that that they don't do that anymore. Because I have not seen anything but positive press for The Omega Men. Yeah, I don't know if you guys saw it or not. Chris Sims over at Comics Alliance did a really good piece about um, the Omega Men and the use of the nine-panel grid. Uh, came out last week. It was excellent. It was a really, really well-written piece. And I feel like I've seen a lot of interviews with Tom King. Uh, people just being really, really 
positive about the book. And, you know, you don't see that all that often, especially not from DC. So I wonder if there would, if there's any world where they would keep a book like that going. I, you know, I, I don't know. I wonder, I kind of wonder if maybe like Vince is suggesting they, they haven't been very good at playing Marvel's game for a while. You know, like they'll, they'll have months where they have a big spike and they'll come out on top or near on top, but they, they just don't have that, um, quite the same mainstream appeal that Marvel commands, like thanks to the movies and stuff. I wonder if they're going to, if they are trying to, trying to market to like the, say like the image crowd a little bit more, both in terms of like readers and talent, you know, if they can attract a few, you know, a few of the people who are making like really great books at image over to DC, um, then who knows, you know, who knows what could happen. Yeah. Um, it's, it's endlessly fascinating to me to try and figure this all out. Um, and I really do hope that this is not the end of DC trying to, to take chances and to do new things, especially because, and this is going off on a slight tangent here, but, especially because Arrow and The Flash have been so successful by being live-action comic books. Yeah. The Flash especially. The Flash is as close to a live-action comic as you're ever going to see. You know, look at who The Flash is bringing in this season. You know, Jay Garrick, Wally West, Jesse Quick, Zoom. Um, You know, the, the entire extended Flash family is going to be on this show. And no one bats an eye. And it's done really well, and yet the Flash comic that's coming out right now could not be any further tonally from the Flash TV show. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know. I, I I really can't figure out the way DC is is going with their with their main line. I guess they I guess they feel like those books are still selling at a reasonable clip, and so they have to embrace that style. I don't know. I get. I, I you know. I w- I was thinking just the other day why DC doesn't um, like the state of their um, I would call their flagship titles. You know, like like their Flash, their Green Lantern, their their I guess their second tier flagships. You know, the the solo books for their biggest characters don't have the biggest names on them right now, which isn't inherently a bad thing but i would think from like a publishing standpoint those are the books that you would want to rally the biggest names and the like the the creators that are really going to get people talking and then have sort of a trickle down effect into the rest of the line and may you know i don't know anything about publishing so what i you know that could just be a load of a load of bs but that's well, I don't what know it about seems that. like to me, you know? Like, a part of me agrees with you. Part of me thinks that, like, you know, Batman is going to sell no matter who's writing it. Yeah. And maybe to a certain degree. Maybe there's a number, like, if you put Green Lantern on the front of a comic, it's going to sell this much no matter what. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, well, like, I, it... 
obviously took a big dive when John's left, Green Lantern did. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I do think that if Snyder wasn't writing Batman right now, it wouldn't be staying above the 100,000 mark as well as it has been. I, I think it would take a, not a steep dive, but I'd be surprised if it stayed above 80, um, if they just took him off to today and threw, you know, a... Probably Brian Bucolato or someone. Yeah, if, yeah, exactly. The, you know, nothing against him. He's, you know, a fine writer. But if they took Snyder off and put him on the main Batman book, it wouldn't stay above 100,000. Maybe maybe for a month, but I don't even think that. Um, so but, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know. So uh, my question for you guys, and I've given you all sort of a, a bit of a, a bit of time to build this up. You know, if DC is trying to go back to an era that is a little bit more conventional, that's, that is a little bit more meat and potatoes, comics, what is a title that you think they could put out that wouldn't completely abandon the DCU feel while still being more of a safe bet? And Vince, you instantly said, oh, I have one. Yeah. So what would yours be? So mine would be a Green Lantern book, okay? I don't know what it's going to be called, but it'll be similar to New Guardians, okay? Green Lantern book, but where it's a team, uh, you know, led by a Green Lantern. Maybe it's Simon Baz. Maybe it's, you know, somebody, somebody else. But then it's got a Red Lantern, um, an Indigo Lantern, but they're all... They're all some established superhero, maybe like a second or third tier one. But for whatever reason, for some some BS reason that you make up for the plot, they end up with one of those different rings. So almost like in Blackest Night. Yes, except okay. it's an on, it's an ongoing series that puts them on some sort of cosmic mission or something. I like that a lot. With that esta- sounds like established characters, you know, but a nice diverse group. That that sounds like the logical conclusion of where I w- would have expected the Johns run to like end up eventually. Some kind of like amalgamation of his Green Lantern and his Justice League run. Yeah, you know, that's, that's kind of what I thought New Guardians was going to be like, but it never really. I don't know. Yeah, man, I would read that. Yeah, would, do you do you have a creative team in mind for it? Um, uh, I, I don't. I didn't think of that okay. part. Okay, G- give me a minute on that. You guys can <laughs> talk. Uh, Zach, do you have one that comes to mind instantly? Well, the first thing that came to mind would be, um, just the Shazam book that I've been expecting to come for a long time. Because I think that's a character that has a potential to um, kind of toe that line between the meat and potatoes and the Batgirl, you know? Yeah, that's, um, de- that's super creative, creator-dependent. Yeah, exactly. Depending on like who was on it, I really feel like that is maybe one of the... Because it's already kind of like towing the line between like the like macho power fantasy and like the innocence of childhood you you have this chance to like do something really interesting with tone 
Um, and depending on who was on it, um, I think it could be something that really captured both of those ideas pretty well. You know, in a lot of ways, I kind of think that the 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 convergent Shazam did that pretty well. Yeah. Um, well, that did everything pretty well. Yeah, it did every it did do everything <laughs> really well. But yeah, I don't know. I think something like that would be awesome. Yeah, but. I was I was gonna say Shazam because that's that's my answer for most things. Uh, <laughs> But the more I think about this, uh, I think that there, there's, there's two ideas that make a lot of sense. Uh, Zach and I were talking before we started recording about how DC just announced a Gotham Central omnibus that was going to be collecting the entire run of the Brubaker Rucka Lark um, series. I believe it ran about 80-ish, no, 40 issues, right? Yeah, 40. Is that, is about right, right, 40 issues. Um, so in some ways, I think, especially because of the success of the Gotham TV show, that people know some of those characters now, and any book that is Batman adjacent sells more than a book that isn't Batman adjacent. So I think you can maybe make a Gotham Central book work, and I think that that name alone gives fans enough of a nostalgia charge to get people in the door. I don't know how sustaining that would be. The other idea I have is I really do think that people are dying from a series of done-in-one stories. And maybe I would do it um, as like a, a single-issue anthology where, you know, something like, you know, you can call it DC Universe Presents if you want to, but it's a one-and-done Superman story. It's a one-and-done Batman story. It's a one-and-done Wonder Woman story. Because I think that that's a way... I mean, they say every comic is somebody's first comic, but like I can't imagine... Somebody picking up the Omega Men number four, which comes out this week, and getting as much out of it as if they picked up number one. And that's no mm-hmm. knock on the Omega Men. I think it's one of the best books being published right now by any publisher anywhere. But I think if you had a more consistent place for people to to jump on and to get a sort of a one issue, really nice self-contained story, you could even make those self-contained stories more adventurous than not and people would still buy it i think you know what i think would be really cool it may be a little off base because maybe my perception of this series isn't what i it really is but the the shield comic that's out right now the mark wade one uh-huh. it seems i may be wrong but it seems to me like it it, it kind of is that it's like a each issue is kind of like a one shot with like a sort of a team up or something with different mm-hmm. characters with like kind of those agents of shield characters as like the centerpiece. Uh-huh. I would love something kind of like that in the DC universe. Um, yeah, I could dig that. I mean, I, I'm also a guy that I, I probably said this in the podcast before. I think that uh, Superman, Batman, justice league, wonder woman, green lantern, the flash, and I guess maybe uh, Green Arrow or, you know, pick another title or two, all those should be just single-issue arcs. And that action comics, detective comics, sensation comics, those are where the longer arcs come from. But when a kid walks into the store, they don't think action comics, they think Superman. And so to make those titles super accessible. But that's not going to happen. It just doesn't make sense right now for that to happen. Um so, so overall, do we think that a year from now, the line is going to look 
anything like it does now? Or do you think by this time of year from now, everything has shifted back to a more um, early New 52 aesthetic? I don't know that it'll look like what it looks like now, but I don't think it'll look like the New 52 either. Vince? I, uh, well, if you remember what I said a couple months ago, I didn't think that this DCU relaunch on its face looked all that different from the New 52 to begin with. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the editorial was different, and the diversity was was less although there was there was some minor attempt made um but but i i largely found it to be similar where there was just a certain number of books that just weren't going to make it no matter what you did you know Mm -hmm. and i think i hope that dc continues to do that because i don't think you can i don't think you can publish 52 or 60 or whatever books and have them all be your sort of bread and butter, you know, like you're going to run out, you're going to burn people out and you're going to run, you're going to alienate people and you're going to run out of things to do. Like there can't be 30 Batman books, you know, mm-hmm. there, and there's characters that DC are going to want to rotate in, give them another shot and they're going to get books that last 12. So I think, I think every year or two, we're going to see this same cycle again. And maybe every time, because the world is a little bit more progressive, hopefully comics get a little bit more progressive as it goes, I think we'll just we'll just kind of see this cycle that advances forward incrementally, you know? But I think ultimately your Batman's always going to sell the most. Your Superman's always going to be next, or Justice League, or whatever. And you're always going to have about 20 books at the bottom that they might as well take risks on because those 20 books, no matter what they were, are not going to sell more than 20, 30,000. So while I'm disappointed that people don't support books like this the way that they should, or the way that I think they should, um, I think they always will be around, you know, I think they always were around in, you know, there, there were always pockets where you could find interesting and weird books even when the new 52 started so that's my opinion on it it's a good answer i don't i don't know what it's what it's gonna look like a year from now because if you had asked me a year ago what it would look like now i would never have said like this no no i mean i I can't imagine you know i can't imagine right before future's end month last year (laughs) to say like oh there's definitely going to be more books like Batgirl, and there's definitely going to be, uh, you know, more books of sort of weird forgotten characters reimagined without it being all, like, Lobdell books. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, well, and, and a year before that, I never would have imagined that we would have had, had three weekly series running concurrently, taking right. up taking up a good third of the entire line of what DC was publishing. So... Yeah, you're right. I mean, I guess anything could happen. I think, but I think ultimately, ultimately, there's going to always be creators that pitch books like this, and they're going to find an outlet for them. You know, 
there will always be those bottom feeding books and they'll always be the weirder ones. Let's hope that that's the case. Yeah. All right, guys, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say that considering what we were talking about with the, the weekly series, those bottom feeder books might go away for a little while, I guess to make room for whatever events are going on. Cause I guess that's kind of what happened during future's end, didn't it? I mean, yes. Yeah. During future's end, you had like mostly old guard type titles and then these weeklies. And I so think, I guess, and I, I guess, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I guess that could happen again, but if you're looking at a, a publisher that wants to put out 50 unique titles, there always will be 10 or 20 of them that are these weird little experiments, I think. Well, I was going to say, I think you're already seeing, like, you know, I don't think it's any coincidence that Batman and Robin Eternal starts in October, and in November you see the end of Prez, Bizarro, Batmite, um, All-Star Section 8, uh, Power Girl and Harley Quinn... You see those minis going away, and I don't think DC is going to replace them in December. No. I think the Eternal replaces them already, you know. And so I think you're you are going to see that that happening more and more. And I think you know it's going to take a while. I think Jeff Johns said Dark Side War is like a ten issue thing, maybe. Mm. And so we still have another probably four or five months of Dark Side War. So I, I I do think that you know when when that really gets to a conclusion, you might see a big line wide event. That will, that will again wipe out a bunch of the the sort of low hanging fruit, you know, coming at the end of of you know April or May of next year. And who knows? Maybe convergence. Oh, you know what? What was that? I, I don't want to interrupt you. No, go ahead. You're talking about the next big thing. I was thinking about it, and I think it's March is when all of the original New Fifty Two series hit issue fifty. Oh. And then two months later, they hit issue 52, which <laughs> I feel like either of those points is a, you know, a clear, you know, from a publishing standpoint, that's obviously it's a, line a time the for sand. them to, yeah, yeah, that's a time for them to like toot their horns and do something big. Yeah. I was actually going to say, I wonder if um, the success of Convergence will have them do something similar next year, you know? When they did the zero issues in September, that was a hit, and so they did the villains month. You know, so yeah. maybe I'm not saying a story like Convergence, but maybe they will take a break again during the year and let their creators recharge a little bit. I actually think doing ten monthly issues a year instead of twelve is a pretty smart plan for DC to do, as opposed to eighteen to twenty-four, like Marvel does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so I don't think it's a bad idea to give creators time off here and there. I don't know if the convergence style event is the way to do it, or if just if a book skipped a month twice a year, if that wouldn't be such a big deal. But you know that's that's thinking logically. <laughs> no, that's going to happen. No much. room for that. Exactly. <laughs> Well, boys, as always, this has been an absolute pleasure. Please check out multiversitycomics.com for more discussions like this one, both in podcast and in written form. Uh, you can find all three of us on Twitter. Uh, my name is at Brian Needs a Nap. 
I'm at uh, Sir Fox eighty nine, and I'm at VJ underscore O S T R O W S K I. Vince is being modest here. He is the number one comic slash Packers tweeter in the world. <laughs> so. If, if you guys have even a passing interest in the NFL, Vince is a must-follow this time of year. Come look at my diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> my green and gold di- verbal diarrhea. <laughs> and we will be back next month. Thanks again to Aaron Cooter for sitting in with us and chatting with us. Please pick up Action Comics. It is one of the better books that DC is publishing right now. And it looks absolutely beautiful month to month because Aaron is a beast. And uh, we'll see you guys in October. Bye.